0: This episode is brought to you by Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin is proud to support Wonder Women Tech, highlighting diversity in technology careers and sharing stories of the remarkable people who bring our critical missions to life. At Lockheed Martin, we solve the toughest problems from space exploration to national security and defense and push the bounds of science and technology. We hope you're inspired by this story and invite you to explore a career at Lockheed Martin where the best are built. Visit LockheedMartinJobs.com to see what opportunities await.
1: Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify global leaders who are creating impact. We humanize our role models and create a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. innovators. It's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. and Today's guest is Dr. Sarah Heiza. Sarah is the Vice President and General Manager of the Strategic and Missile Defense Line of Business at Lockheed Martin Space. She also serves on the Board of Directors for Lockheed Martin UK Strategic Systems Limited. In these roles, she is responsible for over 7,500 employees across 18 U.S. and U.K. sites, supporting a broad portfolio of programs in strategic deterrence, missile defense, reentry systems, directed energy, and hypersonic strike. No big deal. <laughs> she works to infuse innovation and emerging technologies into these programs to deliver for national security missions for the U.S. Department of Defense and U.K. Ministry of Defense. Sarah brings tenacity, ownership, and people focused leadership in the defense industry with a focus on execution excellence, customer partnerships, and risk management in high risk operations across developmental low-rate production programs to highly mature, complex programs for defense systems. Sarah's technical expertise includes work in polymers and energetic materials, including explosives and rocket propellants, chemistry, and missile hardware subsystems. She holds a bachelor's degree in chemistry from Virginia Polytechnic Institute and Virginia Tech State University, and a doctorate degree in polymer science from the University of Akron. She has one patent, has authored eight national publications, and has been highlighted in national media. Sarah has a passion for cultivating an inclusive work environment, which is evident in her people-focused approach to leadership and how she encourages the next generation of leaders to think about how their decisions impact the place of business, their coworkers, the community, and the world around them. Welcome to
2: the show, Sarah. Thank you so much, Lisa May. It's an awesome opportunity to be here today.
1: Thank you. I mean, you have quite the impressive list of accomplishments. (laughs) Well, thank you. Um,
2: You know, all of those things reflect team, right? I've always been on teams to do those things, and uh, I do appreciate the kind introduction.
1: Well, wonderful. I mean, before we dive into all of that, let's learn a little bit more about you. You know, you grew up in a small town in Virginia. Can you tell us more about where you came from and what kind of childhood did you have?
2: Yeah, I grew up in a small town called Galax, Virginia. It is in the southern western portion of Virginia, right off the Blue Ridge Parkway and right along off of the North Carolina border. So very far south in Virginia. Um, It's a small town and mostly rural outside of that town with lots of farming and agriculture. The industries, when I was growing up at least, were more around furniture and textiles in that area in the small town I grew up in. And I was fortunate enough to be surrounded by a really strong family network as well as really awesome friends who were supporters, encouragers, and also positive influences on my life. And some of them still my dearest friends today that uh, I enjoy spending time with today when I go
1: home. I love that. It's very important to have that sort of small town community feel that you can then bring into, you know, your future life and self. Right. So what do you feel were some of the earliest influences that would later lead you down your career path? What were like some of your hobbies? What were the things that you used to get into?
2: I definitely think uh, there's an element of sports. Um, I played sports, especially basketball when I was in my childhood and uh, in some of my schooling years. And I learned a lot from playing sports, the importance of teamwork, the importance of practice and preparation, um, and then the, also the how you handle setbacks and losses, right? You Not everyone can be the state champion or even the regional champion, and yet to be proud of how far you came as a team and what you did accomplish. I also think my um, education at Galax High School, Galax Middle School, all public school systems uh, had a really profound impact on me. And the teachers were high quality, hard with high bars, <laughs> but also encouraging. And specifically, my chemistry teacher, Miss Carol Annis, really had a high bar and also took the time to teach and be patient when there may be a few extra minutes needed to, to drive home a message or to drive home a learning and I really enjoyed chemistry, and that was the start of really figuring out that I may want to pursue that in college. I also had other, certainly math and science teachers there at Galax High School that taught the importance and the basics. And I, I look back, and I think the learning those foundations and the basics of some of those studies really set me up to be able to have the confidence to go after a chemistry degree when I was in college, um, you know again, just really fortunate with the the teachers and the curriculum that I got from Galex High School.
1: And it just goes to show how important having really good teachers is because growing up, I was very passionate about sciences but I didn't have sort of that driving force, you know, provided by really good teachers mm-hmm. to keep me on my path. So I kind of abandoned that. <laughs> I was super into actually space. <laughs> to this day, I, I still have apps that I use to track like solar storms and planet yeah. planetary movements and things of that nature. I'm still obsessed. But had I had really good teachers that set that bar for me, I think we might be in a different, you know, I might be working with you. <laughs> what well, we're hiring. Um, and I, do still have, um, I do still have three
2: telescopes. So I'm with you. I'm tracking the stars. I have the apps. And certainly space was an inspiration to me in my career and really attracted me into this industry. And then just it evolved into getting into the defense sector.
1: I love that. And I still have my Celestron as well. So meteor showers, here we come. That's right. So you earned a doctorate in polymer science and engineering, focusing on characterizing mechanical properties of polymer double networks, which was seeded from the scientific curiosity in understanding how things work. So can you tell us more about your educational journey, you know, growing up higher education, and how did you continue to learn and study the world around you?
2: I'll start at Virginia Tech. I, was fortunate to have a fellowship there to do some research as an undergraduate at Virginia Tech in the chemistry department. And I learned a lot about polyurethane synthesis and other basic techniques around um, both the synthesis of polymers, as well as how they could be used to size carbon fibers for composites. And again, wanting to, to shout out people sometimes, because I think people have huge influences on us, and for me, uh, Dr. Maggie Bump was that person for me. She was a graduate student at the time at Virginia Tech, and not only, again, took that time to teach me the basics, but also taught me about a little bit about a balance of life. I remember a couple times we'd had a hard week making lots of polyurethane and she'd say, it's a Friday afternoon, let's go to the river. And so we would, and, and that lesson that like you don't have to be working around the clock all the time to also achieve good things, That was important, but it also taught me that I probably wanted to continue on. I really looked up to her, and she was studying for her PhD at that time. So I thought, hey, I really appreciate the depth that she had learned, and I kind of, again, looked up to that and admired that. And so I decided I was gonna go ahead and continue my studies and apply for graduate school. And when I decided to go to the University of Akron, I could have decided to continue on with the work in synthesis, the synthesis of polymers, but I decided, hey, I did that for a while at Virginia Tech. I think I had at least learned the, the 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 foundations and the basics. I had not spent a whole lot of time on mechanical properties. And so that really was what drove me there, right? I felt like that was an area I, I, I was curious about and that I wanted to learn more about and I had not really explored in my undergraduate work. And that was how I decided to continue um, into the mechanical properties world and there learned a lot about fracture mechanics, fracture energies, and how those can be, I'll even say manipulated and or predicted based on the um, properties of those polymeric networks.
1: You know, I just find it fascinating, you know, to, to, that you took this approach, like, I don't know enough about this. Let me, let me, let me turn left or, or let me turn right so that I can get a better understanding. And that kind of guided you, you know, on your, on your path. So what was your first job that you ever had? And then what do you feel was your first break that would lead you into your career path?
2: Well, my first official job I ever had was at Wendy's. Wendy's, the hamburger fast <laughs> food. Uh, so answering the question very directly, uh, probably not totally tied to what I do today. Uh, but but no doubt actually was influential. Uh, I, I, I tell this story sometimes at work that I worked for a, a, a gentleman there that was really um, motivated to, to have a high-performing Wendy's, and he would, um, I'll use the word tack time if people are familiar with that, he would have a stopwatch to, to see how long it took us to get the, the food out the window and make the money exchange, because, by the way, at that time, most people, did, no one used credit cards, actually, we were actually doing a money exchange. Um, and he would track that and and measure how we were doing. Uh, and he'd also make sure that uh, from a quality standpoint that we were making the sandwiches people asked for if they specialized in it. And I t- look back at that. Now, at the time, I don't think I fully appreciate it. So let's just be really clear when you're 16 <laughs> that I wasn't appreciating it but but today and and, and even before today, I recognize, you know, um, the value of what he was doing to study it, to get the metrics and the data to support maybe changes or improvements that were needed so that that customer satisfaction improved. So that was my first job working at Wendy's in high school. And then what job really um, opened up the, the pathway to where I am today? No doubt my first job out of graduate school was at ATK, which is at later point became Orbital ATK and has since been acquired and is now Northrop Grumman in Utah. And I had my first job working on the space shuttle rocket booster program right out of graduate school and and there's no doubt that was an absolutely important step in my career. I loved space and I'll I'll share briefly when I, I did interview other places Went out to Utah to interview at ATK. And, and it just happened coincidentally that I was there to interview on a day where they were having a rocket motor static test. And so everywhere else I interviewed looked very boring, right? No one else having <laughs> a new, new rocket motor test. And I was like, wow, this is super cool. Um, this place is exciting. And that was very attractive to me, of course. And uh, candidly, I had thought I'd probably work there two to three years because it was, for me, very, very far away from my hometown in Virginia and the East Coast where I'd grown up. And turned out I ended up working there for almost 12 years. So it was a really um, important experience in my career. The one job that probably set me up to be in the job I am today is my first leadership job, So I had been at ATK for about four years and went into a leadership job in operations. And previous to that, I'd been in engineering that entire time. I'd been in science and engineering as a a scientist, principal investigator, and really enjoyed what I did. But had this opportunity to take a leadership role in operations, and I was kind of hesitant, candidly, but to your point, maybe earlier, I was like, well, I've never done that. Maybe there's something to learn here. <laughs> and if I stink at of it, all right, so if I stink at it, maybe hopefully they'd take me back in science and engineering and I could go back to my other job. And that role taught me so much from an operations standpoint about, you know, that's really where the rubber hits the road. There's a lot of pressure at that time to get, in this case, hardware out the door. And I, ha- I walked away with a real deep appreciation of how important it is on all those other organizations that are upstream from those folks in the operations floor that are manufacturing this hardware and our role today, you know, I'm upstream from that is really to set them up for success, whether that's an engineering standpoint or make sure they have schedule or budget because they are the ones at the pointy end of the spear, really making it all happen.
1: Oh my gosh. I really love that. I love this, you know, can do attitude that you have and this curiosity, That I think is just super important, you know, in all roles, not just leadership roles.
2: Absolutely. Um,
1: So today you are the vice president and general manager of the strategic and missile defense line of business at Lockheed Martin Space. And you also serve on the board of directors for Lockheed Martin UK strategic systems. So how did you grow into these roles? Like how did you define your leadership style today?
2: How do I define those? Uh, Define my leadership style. Let me, uh, well, I'll start with saying um, being authentic. And and I think earlier in my career, I was trying to be authentic. But you have a (laughs) lot of input coming at you, right? And and you admire people, but that doesn't mean you have to be exactly like them. So finding that balance between admiring and looking up to someone, but also being true to yourself and what you bring to bear. A couple of key things that certainly shaped um, my leadership role and style today. The first would be just um, getting 360s. And if you're familiar with that phrase, where you get feedback from teams, peers, stakeholders, customers, and I had never really had that until my um, you know, first leadership job that I mentioned before. And it makes you aware of maybe some blind spots or areas yeah. to keep in check. And I have embraced that even today, like recognizing some of my blind spots, right, or, or things that I need to keep in check to make sure it doesn't become overbearing on my team. And then there's no doubt also that National Outdoor Leadership School had a big impact on me and my ability to lead or my perspective on leadership. This is an organization that specializes in teaching outdoor skills, outdoor leadership. And I took an adult course. They actually, um, the the majority of their students are high school, college, you know, early 20s. I actually took mine in my late 20s or early 30s as an adult. And it still had the impactful, magical um, impact on me that I think it does on high school and, and college students who may be in a more formative stage in their life, that taught me so much about my role on a team, risk management on how you assess risks, how you um, deal with ambiguity or um, adversity. And I take all of those with me today um, and rely on that still. And I'm still involved with Knowles or national outdoor leadership school heavily today. I've taken many of their alumni courses and still volunteer and serve on their board because I believe it does. um, I believe they teach really important principles that are needed in today's, today's world, good leaders.
1: Yeah, you touch on something very important, and that is that, you know, leaders are continuously learning. You know, you're continuously evolving. And Having that mentorship, having coaching, having opportunities for development sorry, developing skills um, is so important. It is. So I appreciate you sharing that. Absolutely. So your organization is really committed to hardcore development and doing cutting edge step functions to develop technology that is taking leaps, not linear progressions, to stay ahead of any threats. So can you talk about the four focal points and the concept behind strategic deterrence? Sure. Um, So for our organization, Strategic and Missile
2: Defense, we really, our mission is to deter, defend, or if necessary, defeat adversaries in the geopolitical world. And that including our allies, you know, that's not only for the U.S., but for our allies. And that is a really special responsibility we have to to work with the U.S. government and the DOD to do that and the MOD for the U.K. For strategic deterrence, uh, we have two primary programs where we work with the Navy and the Air Force for our fleet ballistic missile program, and we also have a Mark 21A program where we work with the Air Force. Those are in the strategic deterrence portfolio. We also have hypersonics where we are working on developing a hypersonic capability And then we have missile interceptor, where it it is as it sounds. So, with adversaries or a rogue nation, um, we would have the capability to intercept an incoming ballistic missile from a rogue nation. And and as you can imagine, some of those technologies are pretty challenging, but we have the team to do that. And in the missile defense world, we also um, have some directed energy work where we work across Lockheed Martin to make that happen as well, where you could possibly, again, intercept um, an incoming threat. So those things um, are the kind of core Content within the portfolio that the team is working on every day,
1: uh, and in some cases around the clock. I would imagine this would be one of those cases with the with the political climate today. So I'd love to learn more about what draws you to the work that you do because, like this, this is a big seat to feel right. Like you have to be precise, you have to have a level of compassion, but also a level of strategy and and balance of, of not, you know, being too invested in a specific outcome. Like you have to have this level of emotional intelligence as well. So what draws you to this type of work with defense?
2: Yeah, I think first and foremost is the mission. Um, I am really, you know, honored to do And contribute to our nation. Um, I'm a proud American, and um, it's an honor to work with many of the DOD military leaders that I get to interface with, and I have found them to be really good humans trying to do really good things on behalf of our nation, and that's inspiring to me. So first and foremost is that. It's the mission of protecting our nation and making sure we're well-equipped in case that day ever comes that, that we are tested. Uh, second to that, though, is the people I work with. I am surrounded by folks who are really just as devoted, if not more than more than me, to our mission, to this country, to committing to use their skills for the good of our nation. And they're also really impressive, interesting people. And so, bringing that all together makes an, I believe, an excellent team. And we <laughs> all work well together and stay focused on our mission. and those two things really drive me every day. But I will say, I'm, you, you mentioned uh, a little bit, and maybe maybe you, you hit on it a little bit. It, certainly in this job, you have to have a little bit of thick skin or perseverance. Um, you know, we, we certainly have setbacks. We have learnings. Um, and it, it really is a long game, right? So a lot of the, what we do takes years to fully Test, field it, and see it to completion, and and even then keep it into production and sustainment, and assure our customers that it is still a fully operational, capable, and reliable system. So having that long term mindset is really important, and also, like I said, having a little bit of that persevering mindset and uh, knowing that uh, you know you're going to have days that are tough, but to step back and look at how far we've come, and help the team see that even when we have. Um, Some challenging days that, hey, we've come a long way. We're going to get there, but let's take a break here, reset,
1: relook at the problem, reframe Mm -hmm. and figure out where we're going to go going forward. I appreciate that because there is that level of resilience because it is all scientific, really, you know, you have to trial and error. (laughs) That's not always easy to do in in a workplace. That's true. So in the industry, you've identified a great need for more diversity in STEM and government and contractor roles. So what do you feel needs to be done to increase representation in those areas?
2: You know, I think it's really first starts in the secondary education system. You know, and I I am passionate about um, myself either giving time or giving back in that area. And that is how do we make it clear that these are fun careers, that this is interesting, that this challenge is worth worth making a career of over and worth getting an education around and making, um, you know, back to those teachers, right? I can come in and give a hour talk or a lecture and hopefully plant a seed, but really for that seed to be cultivated and to grow those teachers and those school systems make all the difference. And, um, I want to encourage that and help in any way I can, but I do believe it really starts there so that we can hook and attract all that talent to pursue those kind of careers in college. And then for um, an industry or government, you know, we have to make sure that we are looking in all the right places in our recruiting. I really believe that, right? It starts with recruiting. And then once we have them on our teams how do we retain them how do we make sure that one they feel like they're working on a really important mission that two that they are challenged and then three most importantly maybe of that is that we see them as who they are and that we respect them as an individual as that they are and that we want to hear about the experience they're having and to make sure that it aligns with their their life goals and their life balance.
1: I love that approach because, you know, the work we do at Wonder Women's Tech is we work with Fortune 500 companies, government, the U.S. Department of State is one of our partners for several years now. And that approach of not just getting them in the door, but how are you retaining them? How are you creating an inclusive environment? How are you valuing them? How are they able to continue their career development and their growth? Like I didn't even have to tell you that you've hit all of the key points and I'm in love with that.
2: <laughs> well, I, I am passionate about it. And I think that, um, that point of meeting, you, you know, fi, fi, being flexible around the needs of individuals, right? There's a way to both be flexible and meet the mission and the business, which is, you know, the other two elements I'd hit on with that, those three and finding that where it overlaps and open works and then you got the right recipe to have really high retention of a high performing team
1: that's fully inclusive. I am just awestruck by your leadership and the important work that you do, Sarah. So we're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women segment. Today's pioneering woman is Lolita Taub. Lolita Taub is an early stage investor and the founder of Ghana's Ventures. The daughter of immigrant Mexican parents, her venture capital firm is driven by and for historically overlooked communities. Taub first began investing as an intern for K-Funds and then served as principal and director of strategic initiatives at Backstage Capital while making investments for NDVC and NextGen Venture Partners. She is determined to be on the Forbes Midas list. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Lolita Taub.
0: Lockheed Martin is proud to support Wonder Women Tech, highlighting diversity in technology careers and sharing stories of the remarkable people who bring our critical missions to life. At Lockheed Martin, we solve the toughest problems and push the bounds of science and technology. Join our team at LockheedMartinJobs.com.
1: Hello, innovators. We are back with Dr. Sarah Heiseh, talking about the importance of reaching back to your community and roots, having learning lessons at Wendy's and innovating aerospace and strategic deterrence. As we discussed earlier, you grew up in a small town and recently purchased a family farm that has been in your family for decades. So the love and energy you pour into restoring it and creating a wonderful haven for your family to gather seems important to you. So I'd love to learn more about this farm and what inspired you to buy a farm and build into it. And how do these values of family and community play out in your life?
2: Well, the farm actually left the family for a while. Um, so my great aunt had the farm up until probably about twenty years ago, oh. um, when she could no longer take care of it and had to sell it. And so she moved into town closer, candidly to to my my parents and myself um, and the family, right? Because um, she just couldn't take care of it, and and she didn't she didn't have children. Um, so she had sold that because it was it was um, no longer. You know, she was no one longer capable to take care of it. And that being said, she had not sold the land adjoining it. So I had, um, when she passed away, she had left some of that land to me. And my husband and I had talked about maybe building there or we had thought about other uh, ideas. And then all of a sudden, um, actually only about, gosh, seven months ago, six months ago, oh. this little farm which adjoined the land, which used to be my great-aunts, and also where I learned how to drive and spent a lot of time growing up, came up for sale. So it was kind of a no-brainer uh, for, for me. And uh, this has all happened quite rapidly. So we just closed on it, gosh, back in May. And two weeks after owning the farm, my brother, Pace, asked me if he and his fiance Maggie, could get married there and i thought oh this is a great idea right <laughs> i thought they meant probably like 2024 and they're like okay great we're gonna get married in october which was like last month oh my god! So i was like okay wait time out right <laughs> but uh actually it turned out to be a really neat um way for the family to come together because we all ended up working on it together we worked on the farm for like four months off and on trying to get it ready for the wedding and uh, it was a real forcing function if you will and they had a beautiful wedding at the little family farm, um, gosh, October 7th. So it's been almost a month and it was just really special, right? Because it was, and it was all very fast. I couldn't, you know, if you'd asked me this a year ago, could never have foreseen all that happening. (laughs) Uh, but for me, I mean, I, this is where I grew up and I'm, I really thrive in more rural environments. Um, I like visiting cities, but I do really like more mountainous or rural environments. So it's that's important to me. And then, like, as I mentioned, I, I want a place that, um, is tied to where my family is, where I grew up and a place that I'm also really proud of, which is that area in the Galax, Grayson, Carroll County area. And, um, it's just a real, real, something I'm really proud of and really excited about. Cause it's still very, quite new to us. Cause again, it all came about in like the last six months.
1: <laughs> You're still tilling the soil. <laughs> <laughs> very much so. <laughs> I love that. It's one of my dreams. I'm from New Mexico, so I grew up in the desert, uh lots of land and now I live in California. I'm more Californian than anything, but I do have this dream of going back and getting a farm. I love animals. I love vegetables and, you know, having land and space. So, you are living my dream, Sarah.
2: <laughs> I don't spend as much time there as I'd like. And I, you know, I'll share that I think one of the things that um pushed me to do this. Maybe, maybe you hit on it when you talked about living in California is I've, I have moved a lot for my career. So I've lived, I've mentioned I lived in Utah, then I lived in the Bay area, uh, in California, and then I lived in Florida and now I'm here in Colorado. And I think making all those moves also kind of contributed to, Hey, I want I want a place that's tied to my roots since I felt like I'd moved around a lot. Yeah. Um, so it kind of balanced all those moves that I had made for my
1: career. A home base you know, it can be super important. Thank you for sharing that. So Sarah, you've received tech industry awards, been featured in national publications and spoken at conferences and trade shows. What is one experience that stands out to you where you felt a sense of deep gratitude or impact? From
2: those... Awards or accolades, for sure, I would say the um, Society of Women Engineers Award for mentoring. Mentoring is very important to me. I see it both as giving forward, giving back, because as, you know, throughout this, I've shared a lot of people who took time to encourage me, so I want to make sure I'm doing the same for others. And so to be recognized for that was deeply moving because again, it was really important to me and it was actually a total surprise and shock uh, <laughs> when I received that too. And so it was both the, the gratitude of the recognition, but also kind of the shock and surprise of it. But I would say that's one that sticks out as just really important to me and that I really am grateful for that recognition because it tied to my values of something I've really tried to, to do, which is give back
1: to the, the folks who are paving their own career. I love that. Yeah, I, I, you know, in my own journey, I have started to reflect on those very important moments, you know, the, the the different awards, they mean different things at different times. And also the encounters at conferences when, when you're speaking, you know, you meet someone and they say something that you needed to hear at the right moment. Oh, yeah. And it's like, mind shift.
2: Yes, Definitely.
1: So let's go to the great outdoors. You mentioned that you serve on the board of trustees at Knowles, a nonprofit global experiential outdoor school that focuses on leadership, teaming, competency, and judgment. And your outdoor adventures include, and I had to like, when I learned about this, I had to like take a moment because I'm like just imagining you at work doing the serious strategic defense work, and then you're out there, Scandinavian backpacking, Southern Utah canyoneering, you know, the Italian dolomite backpacking and fixed cabling. You're in the Himalayas backpacking. You're in Iceland backpacking, you know, doing numerous local Intermountain West treks. Like, what? (laughs) Talk us through that. Like how many lifetimes are you living all at once? And what draws you to the great outdoors? Oh my. Uh,
2: I am drawn to the great outdoors um, due to its simplicity um, and the natural setting. That there's no doubt. Um, I am one of those people that is inspired. I am inspired and in awe of nature. And I find that to be a place that I also can kind of reset or kind of ground. Uh, you know, the job has its burdens and uh, I can have its stresses, right? But you can imagine that. And I find that nature is a great outlet for me. Uh, and then when you add that element of, you know, I'll call it exercise or adventure the backpacking or the, you know, skiing or whatever I'm doing. Those two things are like that perfect blend for me to kind of reset and refresh to come back to work and be the best I can be. You, you mentioned lots of places. Uh, I I do, you know, I, I, I'd like to see the world. I mean, I can't see the whole world, but um, I'd like to see the, the world and I've been just always impressed with the different locations, specifically with Knowles, that they would offer. And I would look for courses that aligned with my schedule and and my interest and would sign up for those. And I'm currently considering maybe doing Kilimanjaro in twenty
1: twenty four. Ooh. Now do you have to train for anything like that or do you just like show up and go? (laughs)
2: Well, I train, but that's probably my personality. Um, I really like to have a goal, right. Something I'm working toward and almost all of those that you listed, I trained, um, and by training, like just making sure I'm in decent shape and you know, that I'm prepared. I don't want it to turn out, you know, I'm not spending, you know, a ridiculous amount of time in the gym or something like that. Uh, it kind of just, uh, it aligns well with what I like to do anyway. So I just spend more time making sure that I'm going to be in good shape and that I'm ready to take on the challenge, but it aligns with me trying to reset and refresh for the job too. So it's kind of a win-win Than when I'm out there, quote unquote, training to get ready for something else.
1: I love that balance though, from sort of dealing with national defense and aerospace to being out in another wilderness, because both are Kind of wild. They, they are.
2: They're, they're wild
1: in their own right. Yeah. In their own right, for sure. Yeah. So you believe that everyone can bring their talents to help support our nation. And you're committed to promoting the calling to others to step up for national security. And I think that's important now more than ever. So, what can someone do from where they sit and what skills are needed?
2: You know, National security needs all skills. Um, You know, it would be hard for me to say a skill that we don't use. You know, I may be coming from the engineering, the science and engineering side, but, you know, recognize there's all kinds of folks from the financial side, from a contract side, from a legal side. All of these, we use artists, graphic, um, we use graphics, right? Um, There's all kinds of roles needed to support national security, and i do think there's something really honorable about supporting your country and 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 doing something out of you know duty and obligation and giving back to your country recognizing i know we aren't the military who do that in a way that is even at a much grander scale but there's still you know pride and being a part of a calling for our nation that is inspiring. And it takes all of us to do that. It can't just be scientists and engineers, right? It takes all those other skills that I mentioned and more because I can't think of them all here to make all this happen. And so, you know, I, I would just ask us all, is there, is there a certain mission or technology that you're really interested in and how could you apply your skills, your education, your likes to assisting our country and taking us to the next level? I think, it, I think the career will be rewarding, and uh, I think you'll be inspired.
1: Yeah, you know, to your point... Uh, We have an intern now. I just was talking with him an hour before our interview, and he's a former military gentleman, and he has always had a passion for art. And so he's now learning graphic design. Very, very talented, by the way. And so I asked him, what are your goals? And he said, well, I want to go back and take this to the military and help you know, create some really cool graphics and things of that that nature for their, their teams. And I was like, really? Like, that was literally what he told me. He wants to take these newly acquired graphic design skills back to being of service in the military specifically. Exactly. And I thought that was just, I never, you know, for someone like me, you know, the regular person, <laughs> we don't think about how our everyday skills or the things that we're passionate about can actually transfer over into government roles or or, or service roles.
2: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, make those connections. Um, There's lots of different ways to explore that, whether that's, you know, there's, I think, USAjobs.gov, if it's for the government, or of course I'll promote Lockheed Martin jobs. um, You can search (laughs) there. But you'd be surprised at the number of I'll call it non-engineering jobs that are associated with defense work that's absolutely really important.
1: I love that. So life can get challenging for all of us. Mm-hmm. Tell us how you overcome challenges. And have you ever felt like you wanted to give up? Wow. Um, how do I overcome
2: challenges? Um you know, I'll, I'll tie, tie back to my outdoor experiences. I remind myself when things are really tough at work that I have had hours, days in the outdoors that were really tough, where um, either the weather's really bad and, you know, you have really, really cold rain or possibly even snow. You have a heavy pack can't see anything because it's so foggy and you know you just have miles and miles to go and those are really long days or possibly if you're into mountaineering you know when you're trying to get to the top of a mountain sometimes you reach a false summit meaning you think you're there and then you realize you still have maybe a thousand vertical feet to go or um, a half a mile more in really treacherous conditions and it can be really frustrating and yet in those times when I felt really overwhelmed in the outdoors, I still pushed through and candidly was better because of it. And I remind myself of that at work, right? When things are really challenging, that um, we will get through this. And it's not to discount that it's not really hard, that there's not some really challenging conditions at the moment, but we have the skills we've prepared and we have the tools to get through this, and I try to remind my team of that, right? And that um, it it does take that persevering attitude, and sometimes it's important, like I said, to take a step back and look at how far you've come. If you if I go back to the outdoors metaphor, right? Sometimes when you feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we just keep we just keep trekking along here, when are we ever going to get to the summit? Well, if you stop and turn around, you'll realize how far you actually have come. Mm. And then you're like, okay, we are making progress here. It's just Mm. maybe taking longer, a little bit harder than we had anticipated.
1: I love that you provided an analogy because I'm able to, I'm following the story with you. I'm on that summit. I'm on that. (laughs) I'm like looking backwards for my own milestones Mm -hmm. because, you know, I sometimes feel like I've hit a wall, um, especially Mm -hmm. in this work centered around diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. It feels like we're never going to reach that summit, candidly speaking on my end, where it's like, what uh, is this? Is this enough? Is this good enough? But we're celebrating 10 years next year. And it is, (laughs) thank you. You just reminded me like to look backwards and see that journey. Like I have trekked this far (laughs) <laughs> and I'm still here. I'm still on the mountaintop. And I think, you know, for our listeners, you know, to who are listening to have that visual, I think is important. I think we all can relate in some level of what we're going through, you know, personally and professionally, that it is important to look back at how far we've come and give ourselves that grace and and credit.
2: Absolutely. And I think it's, it's okay to do, to do both, which is to stop and celebrate how far we've come and not be satisfied. You can do both, right? You can celebrate the progress of where we're at and also know I'm just not where I want to be yet
1: and I'm going to keep pushing and do both. Oh, yeah. I love that. Such a golden nugget. (laughs) At Wonder Woman Tech, being vulnerable is one of our superpowers. So can you share something with us that you've never shared before?
2: Wow. Um, So I have a song that I listened to when... Uh, I'm needing a little bit of inspiration or a reminder, maybe of who I am and where I'm at, and that's uh, it's called "My Silver Lining" by First Aid Kit. Probably haven't they're probably a I've never common. heard of it. Love this song if you get a chance to listen to it, but it's about hey, I'm not gonna take the easy road, and that's pretty much um, meant meant a lot to me because there are times where maybe there were easier roads to take, and I I chose not to, and that that song means a lot
1: to me. Oh my gosh, Sarah, I love this because one, you haven't at all heard any of the questions I'm going to ask, but it's like you are telepathic right now (laughs) because my next question is actually exactly that, you know, from your family farm to the wild outdoors to aerospace and protecting our national security, you have led quite the journey. So if you had to do it all over again, would you take the easy road? And we already know the answer or the road less traveled and why? So I do think, uh,
2: you know, quoting Robert Frost, I have taken the road less traveled in many cases and uh, it has, to quote him, has made all the difference, Um, you know, I think there were times. Sometimes I even second guess myself. There may have been times that my friends and family were like, "Hey, why is she deciding to do this?" Um, some of the decisions I I made, which they weren't as obvious, you know, why I was doing something, but those times have broadened my experience, broadened my horizon and my perspective, and um, humbled me too uh, along the way and yet given me confidence. So it's like a, it's like dichotomy, right? Of humility, but also, uh, me up with confidence that, uh, we can get through hard times and,
1: uh, yeah. I love that. And this, is, I mean, Robert Frost is, is one of my early influences. I was the poet before I, anything else. Wow. Um, so I'm glad you picked up on that reference, but it has been, an absolute honor to spend this time with you, Dr. Sarah, and to learn about perseverance, to learn about saying yes to opportunity and saying yes to curiosity. This has been a wonderful session with you. Thank you for sharing with us.
2: My pleasure. And I'll end with another poet that since I found out you're a poet, (laughs) one of my other favorite lines from a poem is from Sarah Williams, which is, I have loved the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night.
1: Oh, I love that. (laughs) That is beautiful. It is. Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Thank you, Lisa May. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure as well. Thanks, Dr. Heise. Thank you so much for being here innovators we'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time